All right, so uh, we want to uh, look at uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 today. Uh, and uh, again, it is, um, it's called the Song of Moses. It's called the Song of Moses. Moses has uh, uh, two passages in the Torah that are called the Song of Moses. One is more famous than the other. The most famous one is um, uh, Exodus chapter 15, when the Jewish people come out of the Red Sea, the parting of the sea. Uh, as I like to say, the first thing uh, that they do is they sing a song. What, what do they do after they uh, 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 come into the wilderness? The very first thing they do is sing a song. Uh, and it's a great song about the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, uh, the love of God, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, for, his, uh, for his people. Uh, and uh, uh, in fact, the book of Revelation, I, I believe, references the song. Uh, when it talks about the song of Moses, I would suggest that um, first and foremost, it's Exodus 15. Perhaps a little bit of Deuteronomy 32 as well. But the other song of Moses is Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is also a, a poem, a song, uh, and it is designed to be at the very end of the, like the last words of Moses to the whole nation. Now, uh, uh, when I say that, I mean uh, uh, to all of them together. Because in chapter 33, he's going to give a word of blessing, like his last word to each individual tribe, right? But in chapter 32, it really is a culmination of a lot of things. In a way, it's a culmination of the, of the Torah. Uh, it is a, a song that definitely summarizes everything in chapter 29, 30, and 31. Uh, and if you remember in chapter 29, 30, and 31, that is where Moses basically says, you're going to go into the land, you're going to forget me, but God will not forget you, but life will be very difficult. But then eventually, wherever you are, you're going to turn to me and you'll return to the land and God will bring you back and restore you uh, and so on. And you have the great promises of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30. And then we also have 31. So in, uh, in chapter 32, we have, it's like a summary. Now, there's something else about this passage. Uh, and uh, if you remember back in the beginning of Deuteronomy, uh, we mentioned this, that Deuteronomy is written like a treaty. Like it has a preamble, it has exhortations, it has the rules and regulations, and then it has uh, proverbial you know, blessings and curses, using examples to say, obey and things will go well, disobey and things won't go well, right? Uh, and then, uh, so it's written like a treaty and God is the king and Israel is uh, the, the, the people whom he oversees as a benevolent, as a benevolent king. Uh, and so the very end of one of these treaties it calls for witnesses witnesses to the truthfulness of everything he said. So in Deuteronomy, the truthfulness of everything, what has God said? God has said, I love you. He has said uh, that he is faithful. 
He has explained to the people what he demands from them is their wholehearted love, radical uh, yieldedness and obedience. Uh, but that God will never leave them or forsake them, uh, but uh, that uh, they need to live a certain way, right? And uh, and so and then in chapter thirty we have there that even though you may disobey and you may be chastised, in the end God will restore you. So here in chapter thirty-two, that is basically what we have. Uh, it is uh, a, a witness to heaven and earth of the truthfulness of all that God has said in a poetic way. And the reason it's written in a poetic way is so that the people from generation to generation, from generation to generation, will know it and remember it, okay? Uh, very important. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, we read uh, in, um, the uh, in the in the chapter uh, just before it, right? Uh, in chapter thirty-one, uh, in verse twenty-eight, it says, "Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them." See that the heavens and the earth to be the witnesses against them. Okay. Now, by the way, uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, it says, assemble to me the elders of your tribes and your officers, uh, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. In other words, the leadership uh, has the responsibility, uh, the, the heads. Now, the elders, that means the, the sages, the older people have a responsibility for communicating the truth of God to the future generations, okay? So while it's really an admonition about the whole people, the leadership are the representatives of the whole people. So he says, for I know that after my death, you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days, for you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the words of your hands. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel, see now the whole assembly of Israel, the words of this song until they were complete. And that's the introduction to uh, Hazinu. It is uh, called give ear, listen up. You know, it's uh, Shema is not the only uh, word in Hebrew uh, that is used to mean listen. That, that literally means listen or hear, but uh, here it says give ear. Oznayim, Oznayim, ears, Hazinu, <laughs> you know, literally, we hear with our ears, right? Uh, give ear, and, and when it says give ear, it means like listen up, like really listen, you know? Uh, uh, oh heavens, uh, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. So in a nutshell, what the... Uh, what these 43 verses are basically saying is, is this. Uh, first, we read about the perfection and faithfulness of God. To so remember, remember that, that, that God is perfect, God is faithful. And so whatever happens, don't be blaming God. Now, he's speaking this to the covenant people, right? So this is not a message to uh, a people who have no idea who God is. 
This is a message to the covenant people. This is a message to Israel. This is a message to everyone who comes under the heading of the commonwealth uh, of Israel. This is a message to all people who embrace uh, the God of Israel and you know who embrace Yeshua, the Messiah. Don't be blaming God. God is never on the hot seat. He's never uh, in the witness stand. You know, like if you ever watch Perry Mason, you know, God forbid that you should be the witness, right? Because you're going to go to pieces, uh, you know, uh, right there. Uh, but that may be us, but it is not God. You know, uh, we did not create him in our image, right? Uh, he created us in his image. Very important, uh, you know, for us to get. So this is the testimony of the faithfulness of God, but also the testimony uh, of the benevolence of God, uh, the testimony of, of the faithlessness of Israel, a testimony of the chastisement of what's, you know, when these bad things happen, this is why. Uh, and then uh, you have more observations. I wrote here observations of Israel's waywardness. But then at the very end, the last uh, nine or 10 verses speak of the vindication, the vindication of the name of God and the vindication of Israel. Uh, and this is so true uh, for, uh, you know, for us. We need to always be remembered. That's why we blow the shofar, a reminder by the blowing of trumpets, right? A reminder uh, to remember the benevolence of God, to remember who God is, to remember that he is our king. Uh, and but then to recognize our own waywardness and realize that when we are wayward, it's like we're on our own. And we have the wrong expectations of God if we think that it doesn't matter what we do. It does matter what we do. Because if we go, so to speak, just on our own, it will be as if God is absent. It will be as if God is absent. That's what he will talk about here. I will hide my face from you. It doesn't mean that he does away with them, but they'll be on, on their own. And let me just say that pains God as much as it does all of us. Think about yourself maybe as a parent having to, you know, let your child do their thing until they come to the place where they recognize that's what it is. You know, I like to say that, you know, when you're raising children, you go from being the player coach to the coach, to the spectator in the stands. And uh, that can be a tough place to be when you're not on the field with your young person uh, making the plays on the field. And then you're not even the coach. You're not even the primary person who's speaking into their life. And that often is just simply the case when you have adult children, you know. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, the Lord loves us so much. He never leaves us or forsakes us, but we will learn the lesson. Now, again, he's speaking to all of Israel. And so basically what he's saying is, and, and then the vindication at the end. He's saying the destiny is secure. The destiny is secure for the people, but uh, it, it probably won't be an easy road. And, uh, and so uh, may I suggest that 
uh, during the millennia of the history of the Jewish people, there have been very faithful people who have suffered because of the sins of the nation, but they themselves had the security of life forever with God, you know? And so now that the Messiah has come and we embrace Yeshua, it doesn't mean that everything around us goes well. Uh, certainly, I think we could all uh, uh, have a testimony about that. And we may not see the end of the day, but we can go to be with the Lord knowing that the promise is still secure and having experienced the first fruits of that promise in our life today. See? Uh, and so that's why this is not a funeral dirge, uh, chapter 32. But actually, look what it says at the beginning when it says, Hazinu, O heavens, and let me speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop like drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets of fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. You know, I believe this is the first place where God is called the rock. We read about the rock. We read about the rock in the wilderness. We read about Moses hitting the rock. We read about water coming out of the rock. And we read about the rock being Messiah in the new covenant. But I believe this is the first place where God is called the rock uh, in, the, in the Torah. Uh, his work is perfect for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. And so the reason that this can be, can be refreshing is that when we remember who God is, no matter what is going on, when we remember who God is, the word is refreshing. And ultimately the, uh, you know, in, in a nutshell, this, Song, this poem is about the fact that no matter what's going on, you can always return to me, Israel. You can always return to me. I may hide my face when you sin, but when you seek me, you will indeed find me. Okay? And, uh, you know, it... it um, uh, you have in uh, verses um, 5 to 14, as Susan read, about the benevolence of God, the benevolence of God, right? And, uh, uh, and I just want to say one thing. Uh, we'll have part two of this probably, I believe, uh, uh, tomorrow uh, evening in our Kol Nidre service because it's so much what Yom Kippur is all about. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the first part here... Notice in verse 7, it says, Remember the days of old, consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. Isn't that interesting? And uh, uh, so, again, this speaks of door to door, generation to generation, uh, that uh, the older generations have a responsibility to inculcate the glory of God, the truth of God to younger generations. You know, when we look at young people today, many, I mean, should I say most, don't really know 
don't really know. Uh, and so whose fault is that, right? Well, yes, we're all responsible. Yes, the Bible's quite clear. We're all responsible. But we have a responsibility to inculcate to younger people the truth about God. And that means all the truth about God, the, the truth about Yeshua, the truth about uh, about uh, the, the sovereignty, the kingship of God, the suffering, a servant, the, that he died for our sins, rose from the dead, new life, or just simply the Ten Commandments, right? You know, uh, we don't have time, uh, but, uh, but sure we do. And, you know, in the second chapter of the book of Judges, uh, we read uh, these words about the death of Joshua. In chapter 2 of Judges, in verse 9, uh, well, in verse 8, it says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Cheres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served other uh, and served other gods. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out from the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the anger uh, they provoked the Lord to anger, right? So uh, uh, Joshua did not raise up people to uh, carry the gauntlet there, uh, nor did the generation inculcate to the next generation uh, uh, about uh, the Shema, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and, and uh, strength. Uh, and, uh, and so here in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 32, how profound it is it says remember the days of old ask your father he will inform you your elders and they will tell you so let me say to all of us i hope that we as as older people uh, know this information so that we can pass it on not just we have the responsibility to pass it on but i hope that we are aware of it so that we can pass it on and take that responsibility to the young people in our congregation, uh, the young people you may know, uh, your grandchildren or your children, doesn't matter what age uh, we're talking about. Notice it's uh, not only elders, but your fathers, it doesn't say grandfathers or great grandfathers, you know, your parents, ask your parents, ask your grandparents, ask your leaders, uh, they uh, will tell you. So we do have indeed that uh, responsibility. And then uh, the next few verses talk about how, how uh, benevolent God has been to Israel. In verse 10, when he says, He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him, cared for him, guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Uh, he watched over them. He sent us out. He, he guides us so that we would not... Uh, you know, uh, follow after uh, any kinds of uh, foreign gods. He would give us the best of the, 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 the food. He basically nurtured us, 
That's what it's saying. He nurtured Israel. He nurtured us. And that's what he does for us. And so let me just say, as we come to a, a, as we come to the end today, we're going to run out of time, that um, when we talk about the Shabbat of return, Shabbat Shuvah, really the place to begin is to remember the benevolence of God, to remember the goodness of God. Think about uh, if you uh, have embraced Yeshua into your life. Think about that. Think about how God found you. Think about, you know, his rescue or deliverance of you. You know, like, like dwell on it. And, and recognize that the reason that we're to return to God is not because he is standing there you know, uh, do you remember uh, uh, there's a, a cleaning solution called Mr. Clean, right? Remember Mr. Clean? Remember Mr. Clean? Like, you know, he, sort of the Yule Brenner uh, guy, you know, having this look, like if looks could kill kind of look with his arms folded. You know, that is not how God is uh, uh, when we say return. But that is the vision, unfortunately, sometimes that people have. I better return or he's going to kill me, right? That is not how it works, right? Uh, and so we need to remember the benevolence of God. That's what really makes us run to God and to seek him. Because like the father of the prodigal, which is a, a story about Israel and God saying, return to me, that is what it's about that he's standing there with open arms, waiting without any I told you so's, without looking at his watch, without uh, you know giving him uh, weird faces, but he embraces him when he returns. He embraces him and celebrates uh, the return. And certainly, you know, as Sylvia Smith read in, uh, um, in Hosea chapter 14, some of the most uh, beautiful words. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. I, you know, I say to him, take away our iniquity, receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips. And then what does he say he'll do in verse four? I will heal their apostasy. I will heal them inwardly. I will heal their heart. I will love them freely, not with conditions, not with caveats. That is what God says about returning to him. We should never be afraid of confessing our sins, never be afraid of returning to God, because we need to remember his wonderful nature, that he is slow to anger and abounding, overflowing in chesed and loving kindness. Uh, and you know, in Psalm 51, this is all, isn't this like a little primer on uh, Yom Kippur? Uh, in uh, Psalm 51, what does David say at the very beginning? Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. So he believes in the compassion of God. He believes in the loving kindness, in the loyal love of God, and it drives him to return to God. And that is what's happening at the beginning of Hazina. Remember who I am. And unfortunately, when we repent, or fortunately or unfortunately, I shouldn't say that, 
we need to really uh, come face to face with our faithlessness and how disappointing that is to God. And as we'll see tomorrow night, I, that is, this is written as like a lament of God, you know, like a lament of God, much like in the Brit Hadashah, in Matthew chapter uh, 23, when I, uh, you know, where we have woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, right? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You know, there's a different ways of reading this. You could read it like, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you wicked and horrible people, right? That's oftentimes, sadly, how it is, uh, you know, how, how it is read. But it's almost like uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, because at the end of it, you get the, we're going to call it the pathos of Yeshua uh, in these woes. His heart is broken in those woes. See, but see, notice what he says. He says, verse, in th verse 36, truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. It's because of faithlessness. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me. God says, I will hide my face until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we know that as a people, until we come down to our knees and say, Yeshua, you are indeed our deliverance. These things will continue. But isn't it a marvelous thing that the Messiah has indeed come and, and individually we can embrace him and we can know him and we can taste of the good things to come. You know, with an assurance of never being separated from the love of God. Even if we suffer outwardly, God heals our apostasy inwardly when we embrace Yeshua. See? But this is a message to all of Israel. It's a message to all of us. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so uh, may we take it to heart. And uh, may we um, uh, really prepare our hearts for Yom Kippur, prepare our hearts for uh, the fast, and may it, may it be for us not just simply a period of not eating and maybe lose a few pounds, uh, but may it be a fast, a time of coming before God, a time of remembering uh, his great benevolence and his greatness, and then coming to terms, a little painfully perhaps, with our failures, uh, but our failures are not forever. We can return to God because he says, when you seek me, you will indeed find me. And so on Shabbat Shuvah, may we take our words, may we return to the Lord, may we continue this process, and uh, may we be prepared uh, for uh, Yom Kippur. Um, let's pray.
Lord uh, God, I pray, Lord, uh, uh, for us as a congregation, as um, as Janet read in um, uh, Revelation chapter 2, Lord, may we not lose our first love, or may we look in the mirror as a community and ask ourselves if we have lost our first love. You know, have we become, you know, like a religious people, uh, but not uh, having a, a nefesh for you, uh, Lord, uh, a God. And so may we return as a congregation. And Lord, I pray, I say that in this prayer now, that we might just be thinking about those things as we approach Yom Kippur. And that when we say all those confessions, Lord, may we be thinking of ourselves not just as individual people and returning to you. Yes, but not only that way, but as a congregation, Lord. And uh, uh, God, we pray that you would bless us by letting us see where we need to improve, where we need to confess, where we need to move forward in a, in a, in a godly way. Lord, thank you for the good thing you've done here, but Lord, uh, we pray, God, that you would continue to hammer away or build away at us and continue uh, the work you've done all the way to the day of Messiah Yeshua. Thank you, and we pray in Messiah's name.